Welcome back. We're so glad you joined us today. Again, some of you are just tuning in here on Facebook Live, and we're so glad to have you. Uh, We want to, uh, again, welcome you. We're a church that really wants to help you find your place upward in Christ, inward here at the church, and outward in the community. And we've got some really neat things to share with you today. Just as an open discussion, as we try to uh, get the ball rolling this morning, and many of you have been responding here on Facebook, so thank you so much for that. We wanted you to tell us about your first address. Uh, in Tim's video, he was talking about college students and the way that many of them have been pulled off of campuses, all of them have been pulled off of campuses, and how that's such a change and, and how they're trying to deal with that uh, as a ministry. Uh, but when, we're, uh, when I was getting out of high school, my first address that I shared with you there, Paris Island, South Carolina, 29905, that was a huge uh, change for me because I had lived my entire life at the exact same address. 18 years of my life, and I knew exactly where uh, I was at, 11896 McKinsey Road, Delvin, New York. That was my home. That was my spot. That was my whole world was kind of revolved around that. There's a country uh, road where all of my relatives lived uh, in adjoining properties uh, two hours there in the country, and so it was a major adjustment for me. Uh, So when we go back and we look at some of those things, my Marine Corps experience was actually pretty unique too in that I spent four years in the Marines, and almost all four of my years were there at Paris Island. I was stationed back there at Paris Island. Uh, Pastor Mario, you served in the Marines as well. I know that that wasn't your story. You did not stay in one place. Uh, You moved around a lot. Tell me about some of the different addresses you had along the way. Yeah, uh, California, Japan, New York, Georgia, California again. Um, Where else? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, all over the place. Then, of course, just all the little deployments. We Korea, North, South Korea, not North Korea, um, Australia, Philippines, <laughs> uh, just well, Iraq. That's yeah, a so that's a lot of yeah, places. Impressive, places, you know. <laughs> and that's all while you were in the military. Did you move at all? Like as a kid too? Did you move a lot? Uh, we moved a couple times when I was growing up. We, I grew up in Southern California, uh-huh. and I couldn't actually remember the zip code when you asked that question. I couldn't remember the zip code of yeah. where we live, but I, I could tell you the street address. Uh, I like to go on Google Maps sometimes and look at the old place where we lived. To see what's going on. See what it looks like now, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. But yeah. Yeah, so thinking through some of when we first kind of put this together, I was thinking about seeing if you knew your first phone number. And I know my first yeah. phone number, but then as those moves happened, I know those numbers less and less and less and less because we don't use phone numbers anymore. Mm-hmm. Did you move a lot? I know that you had some transitions. I did, actually. I've never been in, uh, pretty much my whole life, I've never been in one spot more than about five years. So very similar to you. Not in all over the world, but uh, we come from a ministry, uh, ministry family as well. And God just had us uh, uh, around quite a bit. But I do remember the first kind of adult uh, address that we had. Molly and I got married right out of uh, our undergrad. We moved to Boston. Uh, I went to seminary there, and we moved into a one-bedroom apartment over a garage uh, in enemy territory in Boston, uh, but uh, spent, uh, spent five years there on, in this creaky old little apartment, uh, like I said, above a garage. So uh, it was very interesting for sure. What's the longest you guys have ever lived in one place? Uh, I said about five years for me. Five, yeah, yeah. about five years. Uh, probably, well, probably about eight years, maybe, in Victorville, California. Okay. So, yeah. So I just, the house that I'm living in right now, we just crossed a threshold, mm-hmm. again, as an adult life. Right. You know, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. we've now lived at this address longer than anywhere else uh, since uh, I lived in my parents' home. Uh, and so, uh, so what we're talking about today, what I want to be able to open a discussion on, we're talking about where we live, where our homes are. 
Um, here's a question I want to ask you today. It's the title of our sermon, the title of our conversation. Uh, we're doing a sermon series here called Table Talk, in which we want to be able to spend some time together as pastors. But we really, uh, we're here kind of face to face, but we want to bring you at least screen to screen where we can have this conversation. And we're asking this question If God's alive, where does he live? Now, that may seem like a simple question, but if God's alive, where does he live? And the very first part of that question, I want to clarify, uh, is not a given. Uh, to many people that we are living around and, and experiencing this coronavirus with. The first part of that question says this, if God's alive. Now, if I'm going to look at that question, if God's alive, you may not realize it. If you're coming from a church background, if you've uh, been in this building for a number of years, you may not realize it. But globally, the question that is being asked again and again and again, is God even there? And so in many ways, many people are turning to atheism as the easiest and most straightforward response to COVID-19. They are saying, how could a God possibly allow these things to happen? How could the Creator allow His universe to just fall apart and disassemble itself in this manner? How is the God that you serve allowing these things to happen and just letting them happen and letting them happen in a bad way? Why would a creator abandon all that he's done? And so what we want to talk about today, first of all, we need to be reminded that this should not turn us to atheism, but actually it should help remind us that we are mortal beings, that, that we are actually in a, in a space where people around the world and around your neighborhood and around your home are actually thinking about the fact that they are not eternal beings, that life will end someday, and what will happen at that time point. This is a prime opportunity for us to have a real conversation about if God's alive and we do believe that he is alive and he is active and he would have something to say about this very question. And so today we want to be able to share with you a message of hope. We want to be able to encourage you. We're going to see here in Acts chapter 2 that, that, that God is alive and if you want to know where he lives, the book of Acts opens and closes with a home. The book of Acts opens and closes with a home, and we're going to talk about what that looks like. Today we're going to encourage you, hopefully, we're going to inspire you, and you should be empowered by the very Holy Spirit of God to live your life out in front of people who are asking the questions, is God even here? So if God's alive, where does he live? The book of Acts opens. So if you've got your Bibles open, would you turn to Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2, we're going to be continuing our series here, asking the question, if God's alive, where does he live? So we're coming to your living room here today, uh, maybe into your kitchen or wherever it is. You're allowing us to come into your home. Uh, we are in the building that is most often referred to as God's house, uh, the local church. Uh, but is this the only place that God resides? Where is God's house? Would you look with me today? In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, to set the scene here for you, uh, Jesus has ascended into heaven. His apostles have gathered together. They're they are wondering what's next and what we're going to find. This is the birth of the church. The church that we live and experience and interact with today is happening right here. Let's read together Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, we're going to talk more about this, they were all together in one place. Jumping forward, the whole house in which they were sitting. And so we see the beginnings of the church happening in a house or happening in a home. Where is God's 
house. And many times in Scripture we see actually the temple uh, referred to as God's house, the place that he dwells. If you remember Jesus when he was talking, uh, he was a young child, he was talking to the religious leaders of the day, and his parents come looking for them. He said, where have you been? We've been looking for you for a number of days. Where have you been? And he said, don't you know that I'm in my father's house? Uh, we also read to those who sold doves in the marketplace outside of the temple that Jesus says, get out of here. When he turns over all the tables, he says, stop turning my father's house into a market. If we go back to the book of Psalms, we read, One thing I ask from the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. And so, as we see the apostles gathered for this moment that we read and we know about as Pentecost, they all come together and they are in this house where they are sitting. So if the Bible is describing God's temple as being the house, then does that mean that God only dwells in Jerusalem? What is this house that we're talking about? So guys, I want to bring you in on this conversation a little bit. What is this house that we were talking about? Uh, Last week we said that they returned to a room that quite possibly or or, or most realistically was the upper room. Are they in the upper room? Where are they? What's going on here? Yeah, so um, last week uh, we kind of... uh suggested it might be that same uh, upper room, but we weren't very sure. Here now in Acts 2, we're actually a lot more sure. We're actually a lot more certain that they're actually sitting in the temple, whether they're on the steps or they're in the uh, temple courts. Um, There's a couple of clues here that lets us know they're definitely at the temple. First, like you mentioned, Milo, uh, they say they're at the house, which is a very clear uh, reference to the temple. Uh, Luke says at the end at the end of Luke, when we talked about the first uh, chapter of, of this story, right at the very last line of Luke is that they're in the temple every day. So they're in the temple every day. It says in Acts two that they're in the house. It's a festival day, and so and it's nine o'clock in the morning. We'll find that next week. But remember, uh, later on in the passage, they get accused of being drunk for what they're about to see. And Peter says, No, no, no it's only nine in the morning. Well, nine o'clock. Uh, in those days was the prime time you went to the temple to pray. So we've got all of these clues that really point to the fact that they're, they're pretty much certainly in the temple on this day. Yeah. All right, so we talk about uh, them being in the temple. Uh, we're we're going to take that uh, when, when every time that we see the house here being referred to that they're in the physical temple. Uh, we've learned, when you, if you've studied and, and looked at the Christmas story, that the temple has been rebuilt, recreated. This is referred to as Herod's temple, mm-hmm. uh, but it was something that was very physically in their community. Uh, Pastor Mario, do you remember the passage where Jesus says, I'm going to tear down the temple and rebuild yeah. it in three days? What was he actually yeah. referring to? Yeah. Was he referring to the physical temple that they were standing in front of? Right, that's one of those controversial passages in Scripture where Jesus um, is speaking of himself. Yeah. And they, uh, for whatever reason, they misunderstood him. They, they believed he was talking about the literal building of the temple. Yep. And uh, they, they actually attempt to stone him, the Bible right. tells us, because, um, uh, because he's talking such nonsense. And he, and he talks about his father's house. He ta- anytime mm-hmm. that he makes this impression uh, that he is the son of God, you're right. The, the religious leaders of the day are going to try to stone him and kill him. They are there. They're coming back. They're gathering together. Jesus is no longer with them. But they are starting something spectacular is going to happen here 
in the next few verses. Brian, before we jump into there, you did point out there's a festival taking place. Yeah. Uh, what's important about that? So, uh, and we'll look a lot more at this next week because this will be, uh, become really important to Peter's speech and things like that. But they're actually celebrating a Jewish feast called the Feast of Weeks. Shavuot is the Jewish term, uh, the Jewish name for it. And it's the celebration. It's kind of like our Thanksgiving. It's sort of the first fruits have come out. They're, they're starting to gather the harvest. And it's very much a celebratory uh, time to uh, be uh, celebrating and thanking God for his provision. And so they're coming, and it's, it's a pilgrimage uh, festival. There's three pilgrimage festivals a year where you have to physically come to God's house. Wherever you are living in the area, this is one of three times a year that God says, all right, you come and visit me at my house. Come to the temple, and we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate right here. Yeah. yeah. All right, so they're meeting at the house. Uh, they're being there for a festival. They're coming together. They're all gathering together there. And so as we, as we look at this passage, you get, you're asking yourself, perhaps, if, you, if you're familiar with this passage, what on earth does this have to do with Pentecost? You're going to see as we're trying to build an argument here, uh, if God's alive... Where does he live? If we're going to ask that question again and again and again today, if God's alive, where does he live? Perhaps your children who are watching with you this morning, or if you ask them right now, they say, well, of course, he lives in heaven. Well, they actually believe, those first century Jews believed that God was dwelling in the temple. This was his house. This was his place. And so that's where they are at when we go into the next portion of this passage. But again, we asked you at the beginning, we said, hey, do you remember your first address. Uh, here's the second question. We want to put this out there for you on Facebook. So if you remember your first address, do you remember your first roommate? It might have been college for you. I know for me, uh, it was in the military. So do you remember your first roommate? Do you remember your first roommate? So I'm going to share with you guys and share with all of you. I remember my first two roommates were both in the barracks in the Marine Corps. And so the, the unique part, I don't remember their names. I've lost track of that in my memory. The unique thing about both of my first roommates on two different military bases is that within six months of me being their roommate, both of them were incarcerated. They both went to the brig. The first guy went to the brig because in a previous duty station, he was on embassy duty and he got mixed up with the ambassador's daughter. So that's not a good thing. And so uh, he ended up going to the brig for that. And then my other roommate, uh, the guy, I mean, we would, we would get him up, drag him out of bed, get him dressed. He'd be in his full uniform. And then we would run to where we had to go to our muster to, to be there first thing in the morning. And the dude would get back into his bed in full uniform and go back to sleep. And you do that enough times, and the guy went to the brig. I mean, unbelievable. So I had these two, like, really wacky roommates. Uh, I'm sure that you have uh, some stories about that. The, the end of the story is my third roommate, uh, Jeremy, ended up being the best man of my wedding. So there was an improvement along the way. Uh, he was a fantastic roommate along the way. A, a few guys are, are chiming in, but what I like about this is uh, a few of them, uh, Sam Richbart, Suzanne, and Heather, both said uh, it was actually my spouse. That was, was my first roommate. My first roommate was actually my spouse. So wow. a lot of different things. That's, yeah. that's pretty crazy. Do you remember your first roommate, Mario? You know, do you... Um, I, do, I do. I don't remember their names. Yeah, I, I don't remember. Say, I could tell you if, if I was in a lineup in jail, you I could, could probably point them out. Um, but one, the cool thing about our family growing up is that my parents actually let our friends live with us wow. for extended periods. So I have, I have uh, three other siblings, and we shared a bedroom growing up. So we had uh, four, four kids, bunk beds in, a, in the room. 
But then as we grew older, my parents actually let some of our friends move in. So I, there's Jerry, there's Adrian, there's my, my brother Angel. We call him my brother, yeah. but he's not really a brother. We just call him our brother because he's lived with us. He lived with us for so long. Hmm. Uh, so it was kind of cool growing up having that kind of like this open door at our house. Yeah. Where cousins live with us. It was kind of cool, you know, like, yeah. That's really great. So you had that experience that I didn't have until I was 18. You know, you were already yeah, yeah. figuring that out ahead of time. All right, so when you get your first roommate, and sometimes it's your brother and sister, but even more so this first roommate, uh, you have to try to figure out how, you know, there's some room management that starts to happen. And it, yeah, if it was when you first got married, you have to figure that out. Of who's going to decide what we're going to eat? Uh, in the military barracks, like you didn't have a lot of decisions as to what your furniture was, uh, but you might have to, you might have some flexibility of how you laid the room out. And I know like we stacked all of our bunks up at one corner of the room so that we had room to have a TV and a video game system on the other side. Uh, when we had any spare time, that's what we did because we didn't have a lot of room. We wanted to use it that way. I know when you're in the dorms on a college campus, you know, you set up your dorm in a lot of different ways. Uh, my sister talked about having a roommate uh, that would constantly get on her computer. And so what she ended up doing was pulling her desk all the way back up against the wall. And the computer was there so that she would know if her roommate had slid in behind the desk to slide in and try to use her computer. Uh, so there's all kinds of weird things that you do. Um, but you try to make those decisions. Who's going to arrange the living space? Who's going to decide on what food is in the refrigerator? Who's going to go shopping? Are you both going to have all of your own food? Are you going to share some of those things? All of these things that kind of come when you're having uh, your first roommate. All right, so we're going to come back to that in a moment to be able to think about some of that. I want you to go back even further, remembering your home as a child, remembering what it was like perhaps if you moved uh, in that. Do you remember what it was like when you were in your childhood home and you had to get out of your home and then uh, you stood there and watched as your home pulled away and went out the driveway and your new home came in the driveway and rolled in? You, you guys no, don't no. remember that? I don't. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't have that. Yeah, that experience. I, I thought we all had that same experience. <laughs> nope. I, I remember my my home driving down the street and my new because that was a single wide mobile home and now my double wide home was rolling onto the same stepping property. Up. Yeah, yeah, we were yeah. stepping up in the world. Uh, now we had a basement and so we had to roll it over and slide it over on top. It was fascinating to me as a little kid to really you know, move up in the world because now we were in a double wide mobile home on our, on our land. So although I did not ever change addresses, we changed homes there on the address. So my first two homes in the first 18 years were there on the same property, but they were both mobile homes. And so when we talk about where does God live, if God's alive, where does he live? I'm going to ask you this question. Does our God live in a mobile home? Does our God live in a mobile home? And the reality of this question is actually, yeah, he used to. He used to live in a mobile home. It was called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. He used to. He lived in something called the tabernacle. That was a mobile home. Brian, show us, demonstrate for us. Uh, this we <laughs> show us some knowledge. Yeah, us right. some knowledge on this, Brian. You, I know it's very. You take yeah, a, yeah, you take it. You take it from here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is what we're saying. It's it's fascinating that God wants to come down and live with us, right? He wants to almost be like a roommate to us. And so, the very first time we see this is when He's drawn His people out of Egypt. And they're wandering around uh, in, the, in the desert. They're in these tents. And so God says, hey, as a show of almost like solidarity, I want to live with you. 
And so I want you to build me a tent. I want you to build, and we call it the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. It's all kind of synonymous. But God says uh, to Moses, uh, hey, teach uh, these people what type of tent I want. And so here in, uh, 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 in Exodus, really this, uh, the second half of Exodus is all about them getting this tent ready. Uh, and God has all sorts of things in mind. You talked about the furnishings. You talked about all the things. God is an interior decorator himself. He wants specific furniture. He wants specific things uh, going on here. And so they build him a house, which is mobile. It can, it can get picked up and it can be moved all around. And so, yeah, kind of God's first dwelling place among men uh, is in this mobile home. And so they build him this mobile home. And then here in Exodus 40, you'll see they have sort of this like housewarming party. They have this kind of inaugural uh, place as God moves in. I remember when we moved in uh, here in Buffalo, uh, a bunch of you guys came out and helped us move in. Uh, Milo, you, were, you guys were all, you guys were both there. Uh, there was such a large amount of people that came. We were so grateful that it took like 45 minutes to unpack all of our stuff. Now, we didn't have a lot of stuff anyway because we were coming from a small apartment, but it was like this big, and then we had pizza, we ate together. Uh, it was really cool. It was a really cool special time that M Molly and I uh, never have forgotten. And this is sort of what happens here in Exodus 40. There is this uh, kind of inaugural sort of housewarming party, and so they pray over it and dedicate it. And here in Exodus 40, uh, it says this. It says, Moses finished the work, the work of the temple. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night. So this probably looked a lot different. It looked a lot different than my housewarming party, but there was this big kind of like awe and glory, sort of the shock and awe moment when God comes down, he fills his tent, he fills his new mobile home, and there's, uh, there's like this uh, atmospheric uh, phenomenon, this cloud that they've been following, and of course there's this fire that comes down and this glory fills the temple. He is now moved in and there's this kind of inaugural housewarming event that takes place. Pretty cool stuff. So the result of this is that th those who are there, those who are present, they see this, this temple, excuse me, this tabernacle being filled with the cloud and they have mm -hmm. this illustration of the fire and, and, and their response is that they are awestruck mm -hmm. by the glory of God. Like they, they cannot believe uh, what they just experienced. Come back to that same question. If God's alive, where does he live? If God's alive, where does he live? Now, uh, we see here the evidence that at some point he lived in a, in a mobile home. Uh, Pastor Brian just talked about the idea of a housewarming party when everyone uh, came around and gathered around and, and we all brought uh, all the stuff out of the, uh, the moving trailer and moved it all into the house. That was a, it was a good day. I enjoyed that day. It was a fun day. Uh, I, I, one of the houses that, our, one of our first places that we lived in, we were at a church that they would do something called a pounding. Now they said, hey, uh, Milo and Aaron, they're new to our church and so we're going to have a pounding for them. And that was in the South. I didn't know what that meant. I'd never heard of that before. And what that means, and if you've not heard of it, uh, what that means is that they encourage everyone to bring a pound of something 
uh, that they're going to give. So, you know, uh, food, different things, different items, and kind of stock your pantry, stock your fridge. And we still have some uh, some food probably that we have probably moved three or four or five times of like spices and things that we're not, because they were Southern, so the spices that we're not ever going to make anything with, and we just keep moving them and in yeah, our yeah, you still yeah. have it. We still have it. The same salt shakers that someone gave to us yeah. then, you know, we still have those same things. That they cost three dollars, but there they are. They're in our cabinets. That type of thing. Uh, do you remember that? Do you remember like you just talked about? Here's Brian, Mario. Like different yeah. times. Has anyone thrown for you like that party of like, man, let's fill this house up. Yeah. Let's put some life into this house. We, we didn't have that uh, experience, but we did. Like Brian, uh, with the church blessed us by um, people just coming and helping, helping us move in. Yeah. You know, and matter of fact, some, uh, Heather Hamilton was putting that. She remembers being there for uh, for moving us both in. So thank you to all those people who yeah. did yeah. that. Yeah. Actually, that word pounding, I had no idea what that meant. Uh, our previous church uh, had mentioned <laughs> that when one of the pastoral staff came on, they, they were going to have a pounding. And for people it's like an initiation, the, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. For people the, that weren't from the South, you're like, what is, what's, what's, yeah, what's what going on here? You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pounding of the pastor. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. exactly. Like, what did I just sign up for, right? Yeah. So, so the, the interesting thing that I found, too, and it's kind of like those spices or different cans of soup that we received or uh, in many times when you're in your your first home you receive some things uh, whether it's old bed frames old dressers things that people didn't want in their mm-hmm. house yep and uh, <laughs> but they're more than happy to give to you like oh don't worry this is our old bedroom set you'll probably enjoy it but either way you're taking it you know and it's coming into your house uh, so the first home uh, that Aaron and I purchased so I told you that I grew up in a mobile home Two different mobile homes on a nice piece of property, kind of different than what you would think of like a, a mobile home park, something like that. You know, we were way out in the country and we had uh, lots of space and that type of thing. So it was a little bit different environment than maybe what you're envisioning. Uh, but when I started looking for a house, when we first got married, uh, when we we're driving through different areas, I was looking at uh, double wide trailers and different, you know, settings like that. You know, that there was a, a home that was probably a trailer, but on some property. I was just like, man, I want a few acres of space. And so we can get that by getting a, maybe a cheaper home and putting it on a big piece of property and maybe we'll build something later. And I'll tell you what, Erin put her foot down. Like eventually she said, if it doesn't have something attached to the ground, I'm not interested in it. You know, if it wasn't built here, we can't even look at it. I was like, oh, but look at all this land. We'll, we'll add a garage and a carriage house and we'll eventually be able to build our home. She's like, I don't care what you think that you're going to do. We're not living in something that was pulled in here. And uh, she was absolutely right. So what we ended up doing was purchasing a home in Bluffton, South Carolina. There's a lot of building and development going on there. And uh, that house is a place that we return to just to kind of drive by and see. We only lived there about a year, but it was our first home, and we had it built for us. And so we got to make our own decisions in that. If you've ever built a house in a big development that's going up like that, uh, many times the, the speed of those developments can be greatly increased because they give you three or four or five different models that you can choose from. And our whole house arrived after we ordered it, like a month later, it just arrived on these truckloads and truck beds. It was all stacked out across. And they brought in a big crane, and one thing after another, you just look at all the different pieces of this house, just all kind of came together. A lot of it was prefabbed off-site, and then they kind of assembled it there. Uh, this type of building is called a modular home. And so uh, we, we've, we've established that God, at one point, lived in a mobile home. I want to ask you the question this morning, does our God live in a modular home. 
Does God live in a modular home, meaning that there's all the different pieces that have been brought from all over the place and assembled? Does God live in a modular home? And the answer to that is kind of similar. Well, he used to, and it was called the temple. There was something pretty spectacular about how the temple was brought together, uh, King Solomon's temple specifically. Pastor Mario, can you teach us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, to really talk about Milo's point there, when uh, King Solomon was committed to building the temple, the scripture tells us that it took him seven years to build the temple. And a couple of the key unique features of building the temple within Jerusalem was that none of the stonework was to be done at the temple site. It was to be done off-site, and the, temp- and the, and the stonework was to be brought in, and they would construct the, uh, the temple using those stones. Uh, another key uh, thing about the passages of Scripture and Kings and Chronicles that talk about the, the temple being built is that they, they received wood from Lebanon. They received um, wood from different places throughout the region. Solomon actually sent letters to, to the kings and said, hey, my father, you know, um, you, know you, you owe us a favor because my father. And so uh, people would send craftsmen from uh, different countries that would come and work all the different bronze and gold and the woodwork, etc., and so we see that um, this modular home, if you will, that God had, um, had Solomon build uh, really was pieced together and, um, and, and, and it was this thing of beauty at the time. And as we talk about this morning, you know, where does God dwell? Some of the key features of the temple that, were, that are just really bring us that sense of awe, that sense of glory to the Lord, is that the inside of the temple itself was, was covered in gold. Solomon laid everything in gold. So you can just imagine walking into a room that is just covered with pure gold. Uh, the imagery, the artistry within the temple itself was very reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. There were palm trees, there was angels, there was fruit designs. There was all these things to remind the individuals as they looked at the temple that this was a place where God dwelt. And so very similar to what happened in the uh, tabernacle experience, when the, when the building was completed, uh, the glory of the Lord came down upon that building and the cloud and the glory of the Lord. And people knew that, that God was dwelling in that place. He made a physical, his physical presence known in that place. There are so many other little nuances of the temple. We could, get, we could sit here all day and talk about them. But just, just looking at a few of those things just helps us to understand just the presence of God among his people, how he, his presence there was all about his awe and his glory and how we should have reverence for him. And um, yeah, man, we, that, that's, we could go on, but I think that's, yeah, that's, that's, pretty, much, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty much the context of that. Yeah. yeah. Let me read for us some of the, the text of, of really what happens there because I want you to see this. Mm-hmm. Second Chronicles chapter 6 says this, I, Solomon, have built a magnificent temple for you, he's talking to God, a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and he blessed them. Going on in chapter 7, when Solomon finished praying, the fire came down from heaven. It consumed the burnt offering, the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled it. Let's ask that question again. If God's alive... Where does he dwell? We see here this passage is teaching us that that God's glory had filled the temple. 
Now, now there's, there's an idea, there certainly is, that even is, prevails in us today, that, that every believer, certainly every Jew, should make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem because the, this glory of God coming into this temple, that's what was so devastating about it when the temple fell at uh, different times during the Babylonian rule, uh, times when the Roman Empire falls, when this temple collapses. Uh, this was where God was supposed to be. What are we going to do? And so in many ways, we've even taken the same philosophy on every Sunday morning. We ask you to make a pilgrimage, if you will, uh, to the local church uh, because gather because that's where we say uh, the Lord dwells. And so if if we is is that really where God is dwelling? Is that where he's going to be found? We know that he doesn't want to remain in a mobile home. Uh, That was part of why Solomon built him a permanent structure that we know as the temple. Uh, So the tabernacle wasn't suitable. Uh, The temple was destroyed. Where would God dwell? And as Pastor Mario was talking about some of the gold and some of these really ornate things, you know, uh, that that pieces and parts are brought from all over the world that Solomon spared no expense on the temple. And yet, in many ways, that temple was a starter home uh, for God. And what we mean by that is this. Does God have a forever home? Does our God have a forever home? <coughs> Some of you see this coming, no surprise here. He does. His spirit dwells, friends, in you. Does God have a forever home? Yes, he does. And his spirit dwells in you. If you still got your Bibles open, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. Suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to do so. If you look at this passage, you should see there should be some, some memory things that are going off, hopefully, for, if nothing else, in the last few minutes as we've been talking about the inauguration event of what happened at the Temple of Meeting or at the Tabernacle, the way that God's glory came in and He filled the tent. And in the same way that the, the glory of God came in and filled the Temple, what did you have as demonstrations of that? You had this cloud or, or this wind that came in and you have uh, this visible fire that, that, that is there for people to be able to see. And the same thing happens here in Acts chapter 2 when God's glory comes. It fills what? It fills His people. His people would now be the dwelling place of the very glory of God. The same elements are experienced. The same glory of God was not going to be anymore in the tent of meeting. It was not going to be anymore in a brick and mortar temple. It was going to be literally with His people. This is where God was choosing to dwell. This was going to be His forever home. And what would the result be? Very similarly as the other examples, the result would be the awe and the glory of God comes over all of them. They said, our God is an awesome God. Our God is amazing. And so when we ask that question, if God's alive, where does he live? Let's ask the question a little bit differently or say this. Our God is not dead. Our God is not dead. He lives in you and he lives in me. 
in the face of the coronavirus, in the face of death that is happening all over our globe, and many of you know friends and family personally that have gotten sick, and many have died. We're over the number of 50,000 people here in the United States who have passed away because of this virus. And our response is not that God has forgotten us, that he has left us, or that he is dead or asleep and and has left things to go into total chaos. No, he is alive, friends, and he is alive in the hearts and souls and minds of his people, you and me. Let me read you a couple other verses that support this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? You are God's temple. That's where he's going to dwell. Ephesians chapter 2, in him the whole building is joined together, talking about the living house. And it rises up to be this holy temple in the Lord, the body of Christ. And in him you too are being built together to become what? A dwelling place by which God will dwell through his Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 2, as you come to him, the living stone who has been rejected by humans but chosen by God, precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into what? A spiritual house. This holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Friends, in the middle of the chaos that's around us, in the middle of loss and sickness and death. Do not for a moment think that we have been abandoned here. The Spirit of God lives and dwells in you. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are grabbing a hold of it and saying, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins when he rose the third day, that he went and he ascended into heaven and that his Spirit lives and dwells in me, he is not dead, friends. He is alive. And so as we take that truth and allow that truth to settle for a moment, what would it actually look like if we lived our lives with this in mind? Friends, in the face of a virus, in the face of loss, tragedy, death, what would it look like if we actually believe that the holy God who spun the universe into motion was dwelling in you and dwelling in me. Guys, what would it look like? Can you, can you paint me a picture of what this might be? Yeah, you know, I really appreciate the fact that um, we're talking about this this morning because I think so many times we get discouraged as followers of Christ that, because we don't feel, maybe we don't feel God's presence with us every single day. You know, we, get, we experience things in life, discouragement, life, in just life in general. Um, And if I can go back to what I mentioned earlier about Solomon's temple, it took seven years for them to build that temple. And isn't that like the the process we're going through in this life? We call that big theological word sanctification, where God's working in our life. Mm -hmm. He's building us up. As we we follow Christ, we are built up. We've talked about this during the week. We live in the here and not yet, right? We we are Mm -hmm. not in glory yet. But yet the Bible says as believers... The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Yeah. And so as, as whether that's a seven-year process, a 30-year process, some of our congregation are over 100, whether that's a 100-year process, whatever <laughs> that is, God is building us up. And we just kind of continue to trust in him and to rely on him that he's going to work in us until we are that here and that the future come together. He tells his apostles, he says, uh, behold, I go to prepare a place for right. you. And he's just talking to not only his apostles, but all of his disciples, all of his followers. Uh, but we lose sight sometimes of that. When you talk about the here and now and the, and the not yet, 
is that that's actually happening right now. Is that he is building a place for us through the change and through living right. in us, the, the very living stones, as the Apostle Peter talks about it. That he is building that within you and within me. Uh, Brian, can you talk about that for a moment? Just the idea that, yes, God is building a forever home, but it is not somewhere off in the distance. It's actually right now. Yeah, and it's just, man, there's, there's, like you said, there's so much here when you talk about uh, even the echoes of Eden, right? And the echoes of the temple was meant to draw our eyes back to Eden, but it was also meant to then make us look forward to uh, to our heavenly home, right? And so when you look at uh, things in Revelation, which we don't have time to do today, um, there is so much temple language there too of God is preparing a place there as he is already indwelling with us. And there we will get the indwelling of God forever, right? There won't need to be a building anymore because we will be standing face to face uh, with God as well. So, oh, there's just so much. So yeah, when you look at, when you read uh, the day of Pentecost, which again is the, just the Greek word for uh, this feast of weeds, when you look at this inaugural event, you can just see how God has been telling this story since Genesis yeah. of God coming and dwelling in his, uh, in his tabernacle, in his tent, and coming and dwelling in a temple. And now uh, Pentecost is God changing his address again. Yeah. But it's not a building anymore. It's us. It's yeah. you and it's me. Uh, and so that's why I love it, because you read this story, and you're like, fire and wind, and like, what, is going, like, what is happening here? And then when you see how God has been telling this story, now it all makes sense that he's doing the same thing, but now he's taking a presidency in us, which, oh, so good. Yeah. It's so good. So if God's alive, where does he live? Sam Richbart uh, quoted this old hymn. Many of you probably know it. It says, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he's living whatever men may say. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives mm-hmm. within my heart. You are the house. We are yeah. the house now. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so then how, how do we actually apply this going forward? Let me, let me give you this statement. If God is alive in you, what does he want from you? If God is alive in you, what is it that he wants from you? And we actually see this outlined pretty quickly here in the same way that you can see that God is a God of intention, God is a God of purpose when he moves into the tabernacle and when he moves into uh, the temple. He's also got a very intentional way that he is going about moving into uh, the lives of his believers here and and setting for us is this. Uh, What does he want from you, first of all, to glorify his name? If God's alive in you, what does he want from you? He wants you to glorify his name. Now, very quickly, I want to take us back just to be able to talk about it. We're not going to turn there this morning. But will you remember from the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, the story of the Tower of Babel? Now, in the story of the Tower of Babel, what you have there is a man who says, uh, Nimrod, they say, let's make our names great. So when we talk about glorify his name, they're saying, let's make our names great. And what they do is they try to build this incredible tower, this stairway to heaven, if you will. They're going to climb around and they think that they can actually reach the face of God. And what does God do is he strikes them down. Why? Because their motives were that let's make our name great. Let's make my name great. Our responsibility, our job, if God is alive in you, what does he want from you? He wants you to glorify his name. And in contrast to that event, do you remember that event, what happens at the Tower of Babel? The, the, the tower is not completed. Things come apart. Things fall apart. God divides them, splinters them, sends them in all directions, and he does so by doing what? He changes their languages. 
In the middle of their building project, all of a sudden people are speaking in different languages from, from what are now known as languages from all around the world. And he splinters them all apart. And what you see here is the inverse of that story happening is that God, now that His name is being glorified, what is happening? All of a sudden you hear them speaking in different languages from all over the known world. As we, as we read through these passages, we see uh, this is how we know uh, that each of us hears from his own language. There's Parthians, Medes, Elam, uh, Elamites, I'm reading it wrong, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, many parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors are there from Rome, Cretans, Arabs. They are all hearing the wonder and the glory of God in their own language. So the exact opposite of what happened at the Tower of Babel is being inversely happening here because God has said, you're going to put my name first. I'm going to bring things uh, together. And when God always emphasizes, every time he tells them to build a tabernacle and build a temple, we see this in the He says, do it for my name. He specifically says yeah. that. He goes, you're going to build a tabernacle for my name. You're going to build a temple for my name. And now here, he's going to build us up in the church, not for our name, not like Babel, yeah, as you right. said, which is a great connection there, uh, but for my name once again. So, so without getting into, because again, we, we could dive in real deep right here. But when we look at this, I believe the Bible is very clear that we are talking about specific languages, specific spoken languages. Now, there are many who will look at this passage and they will build a case for uh, speaking in tongues or speaking in a heavenly, undiscernible language outside of the Holy Spirit of God. And I think if you want to have that debate, if you want to have that conversation, and we've told some stories among ourselves this week of different denominational strains that we've, we've heard of or experienced ourselves where they'll pull you into a side room and say, I want you to begin speaking in tongues and you can't leave this room until you begin speaking in tongues. Even if you want to have that conversation, have that debate, please do not use this passage to do it. This passage of second, uh, the, the second chapter of Acts here is very specifically talking about languages which are being used to do what? To glorify the awesome name of God. If God's alive in you, what does he want from you? He wants you to glorify his name first. Secondly, if God's alive in you, what does he want from you? He wants you to make disciples. If God's alive in you, he wants you to make disciples. Initially, as we are reading in the book of Acts here, there's 120 people present. But only a few verses later, less than a chapter later, we're going to see there's 3,000 present. That they are all being gathered together. The glory of God is being shared. His name is being glorified. And they are discipling people. And they are bringing people who are now followers of Christ. Passionate about what he has to teach them. And the teachings of Jesus Christ. And they were going to flip the known world upside down. And they were not religious rulers of the day. They were not leaders in their communities. These were people that God had done something spectacular in their lives and in their hearts. And we see that they are being discipled. The Holy Spirit has sparked something inside of them, and he is helping the apostles to grow more and better disciples. If God's alive in you, what does he want from you? He wants you to glorify his name. He wants you to make disciples, and he wants you to reach the nations. Glorify his name. Make disciples. Reach the nations. The Holy Spirit gives the power to the disciples to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. 
Now, if you're familiar with our church, if you've been here a few times, you've been here a number of times, you ought to see uh, uh, something that matches up with our mission statement. We believe that it is our job as a church to glorify God, to make disciples, and go to the nations. Why? Because that is the very birthplace of the church here in the book of Acts. We see that as the mission that God gives his church. As he's going to come in and dwell in in his people, and that his spirit is going to move through his people, that that ought to still be our mission today, that we would glorify God, that we would make disciples, and that we would reach the nations, that we would go to all people. This calling is the same on our lives today. The empowering of the Spirit is the same in our lives today. And so we chase that as well. And so the question that we've been asking all morning is if God is alive, where does he live? Let's just be real clear about it this way. God's address is our address. God's address is our address. If you've accepted the Lord Savior, Jesus Christ, to indwell in you, God's address is the address in which you reside right now. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. And just like he had the power to change the entire known world in the first century, he has the power to do that now. The presence of God is alive and it's active and we believe that it is a powerful thing that we want to be able to see demonstrated. So many of you are sitting at your home addresses here today. And as I share that with you today, some of you are are empowered by that. You're encouraged by that. We do want to say one thing, though, is that we are not meant to be at home and alone uh, forever. We are finding unique ways that God is using uh, this crisis to be able to help us connect in ways we've never imagined before. And God is moving in each of our lives and each of our hearts and each of our families in ways we've not seen before. We're seeing people do daily devotions with their families. We're seeing people reach out and care for the people on their street and in their neighborhoods. God is doing some tremendous things through that. But at the same time, we know that we are incomplete because as living stones, as Peter talks about the living stones of the house, they come together and build something unique. We, we see the body of Christ being formed. The Apostle Paul talks about you, you may be an arm or a leg or a foot. They're all being used together. And I'll tell you, we do long for the day when we can be together again, face to face, to be able to demonstrate God's presence in that way. And ultimately, guys, wouldn't it be amazing if our church and our community, the response that we see from these people from all over the world is just total amazement by what God is doing. Any final thoughts that you've got there? Any other ideas that are coming back from our Facebook page of just ideas of really what, 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 would, be, what would it look like if we really are asking that question, what does this mean? And we're just awestruck by the power of God. Well, one, uh, one cool thing is that in a couple weeks from now, when we get to the last part of Acts 2, we sort of see this, uh, this passage that really gets elevated as like the ideal church, right? It's that Acts 2 starting in uh, 42 to 47. And so we're going to look at that specifically in a few weeks because that's going to give us a lot of insight into this. Because the question is going to be, okay, if we're the temple now, if we're the house, well, what did the old house do? What, what, what was it about the old house and the old temple that showed and because that, that temple was meant to reveal to the world, and we'll look at passages, reveal to the world who God is. And so what we'll do in a few weeks is we'll look at what the temple did, and then it's going to be amazing because that's now exactly 
how this early church is going to function. But again, it's not brick and mortar anymore that's going to reveal that. It's the people coming together, sharing possessions, praying for one another, making sure nobody has uh, a need among them. And all of a sudden now, a bunch of people will look at that house, the people of God, and say, there's something different about that. So I'm really excited about that in a couple weeks to start sharing practically. Because like you mentioned, uh, the, the... the Holy Spirit dwells in us individually, and that is true. But then we see in other passages, like you talked about, Milo, uh, where it says that we're living stones being built together in a house. So it's not just on an individual level that you are the house, but we as a church come together using our spiritual gifts, blessing one another, sharing possessions, sharing uh, burdens with one another. That becomes the spiritual house the world will look at and go, there's something different about that. I want to be a part, I want to be a part of that. In fact, um, I had a neighbor who witnessed this large housewarming party that I talked about. Uh, You know, um, the moving truck came in and all of a sudden like 40 people like surrounded our house and started moving things. And it was just like this crazy, and like I said, in 45 minutes, we were done. Uh, My neighbor years later asked about that. She goes, you know, those people, who, who were they? Who were all those crazy what does this people? Mean? Right. Yeah, right. In fact, it, literally, we had that conversation in our backyard. We were talking over the over the chain link fence. She's like, "Yeah, I noticed that about uh, what you guys did there." And I said, "Yeah, that's 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 our church. Our our church when there's a need." I talked about care corridors and what we try to do, and we're not perfect at it. We're working and we're but but the concept. And she said, "I've never heard anything like that." Mm-hmm. Before she saw a visual picture of what the house does, the whole what the Holy Spirit does when it dwells amongst people, building each other up, and all of a sudden she said, "I've never been a part of anything like that before." It was a really cool moment where she saw for the first time uh, an indwelling of the Holy Spirit uh, teased out in, in God's people. Yeah. Yeah, Pastor cool. Mar, I'm going to put you on a spot for yeah. a second and just say, if someone is listening today, mm-hmm. if, if they are hearing this idea of you know. What do they have? What, what is going on over there? And there's kind of this impression that, that the early church had, and maybe we can even demonstrate that, that there's, if God's address is our address, that there's this uh, exclusive club of some sort. Uh, what, what does it really take to be part of God's family? What, what, is that, what does it take? Well, I think that the first thing, if you want to get a deep dive in the church, um, if you're a believer in Christ and you want to go deeper in this, what, what does this look like? I would say read the book of Ephesians. Hmm. Because of the book of Ephesians goes, Paul goes, gets right into that. He says, this is what the church is about and this is how you live it out. Hmm. He, and he talks about everything from, uh, from wives and husbands to the way we look at other people, to the way we, we act to, amongst, amongst each other in the church. He talks about growing in Christ, imitating Christ. He really puts... Um, meat to the, uh, you know, to the bone of what it looks like to be the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you are a follower of Christ, that would be a place where I would tell you to go is, is look at that book of Ephesians. It's six chapters, five or six chapters. Mm-hmm. It's an easy read. Um, you're not doing anything at home this week anyway, so you can read that, okay? You can read that as soon as we're done with church today. Uh, if you're not a follower of Christ, though, I, I think you need to make sure you don't miss what Pastor Milo was saying. We are not saying this morning that everybody who walks on this earth has the Holy Spirit of God in them. We do know that God created everybody. We, we believe that. But there's, a, there's, a, there's another step here. There's, a, there's, a, there's a come a point in your life where you have, to, you have to come to understand what Christ did for you. And if I can go back to that imagery of Solomon's temple, and this is something I learned this week, which 
you know, I've been following the Lord for several years now. I didn't really realize this until I read uh, in Chronicles and Kings the building of the temple. When Solomon built the temple, we know there was the holy place and there was the holy of holies, two separate rooms. The holy of holies was a place where, where the ark was put, where, where, where God dwelt. But the thing that separated the holy, of, the holy place and the holy of holies in Solomon's temple was a door. Now, from my, in my life, we always hear about the veil of the temple. Mm-hmm. That was specific to, uh, to uh, Herod's temple. But in Solomon's temple, there was a door that separated the two rooms. And isn't it funny that Jesus Christ, in speaking to people, uses this imagery about a door. He says in John chapter 10, and he uses the imagery of a sheep pen, but he says, I am the door, and no one can get to the Father except going through me. And isn't that just like Jesus to talk about if you really want to get to God, if you really want to know God, you've got to go through the door of the temple. You've got to go through the door who metaphorically, imagery-wise, is Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you are watching or listening, listen, Jesus Christ is our access to the Father. You don't need another man. You don't need another woman. You don't need another church. You need Jesus Christ who gives us access to the Father. And the Bible says that access came by his shed blood that he died on the cross and was poured out for us. So this morning, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't have a relationship with the creator of the universe, that's the first place you need to go, is to Jesus Christ and to ask him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You want to get into the Holy of Holies? You want to get into God's presence? It's through Jesus Christ. I could go on and on. I'm going to pass it back to Milo because <laughs> I get fired up when we talk about the gospel oh. and about Jesus Christ. That's great, Mara. Thank you so much. So, so Brian, if we're going to make the, the presence of God known, if we're going to, the gospel being tangible for people to grab a hold of, if God's address is going to be our address, can you give us some real practical ways that we're seeing this happen right now? Yeah, so we are, um, one thing that we're doing, because uh, we're all asking the same question, how can I help in the middle of this pandemic, right? We're stuck at home, we can't, we can't do a lot. And so we as a staff have been trying to think up each week, we've been trying to think up at least one thing to highlight. And it might not be something that you can do each week, but something to highlight one way uh, that you can bring the, the glory of God, the, the dwelling of God, uh, wherever you go, whether that's a tangible need, whether that's just a, an uplifting thing, things like that. So we've done a couple of things. We've done a food pantry. In fact, on my way in this morning, uh, someone pulled in right ahead of me, and I thought it was one of you guys, but I didn't. I was like, did one of you guys like change your car or something? Like, <laughs> but they, they drove up uh, to that food pantry, and they were collecting collecting things that they needed as I was walking in. It was just a really good reminder of, wow, you know, somebody was in need and they came uh, to our door in order, uh, in order to do that. So we've done food pantry stuff. We've done masks. We've done uh, letter writing and things like that. And one of the things that we've been emphasizing over the last few weeks uh, is our shut-ins. Uh, we've got uh, individuals in our uh, community that can't get out uh, and probably have a hard time with technology as well. And so we'll probably have a limited amount of connection even 
on technology. So we have been thinking, how can we, as God's house, as God's people, make sure that there's no stone unturned? Uh, every stone, I love my, um, uh, Pastor Mario, how you talked about the stones coming in, because some of those most gorgeous stones that held the whole house together were put underground as the foundation, and nobody sees them. And now they're just now excavating those stones now and seeing that those stones underneath were just as beautiful as the ones mm. that you could see. And so we recognize that in the house there are stones, some of the stones you can see and some of the stones you can't. And so some of these uh, shut-ins are, are these uh, beautiful stones uh, that are holding our house at Randall, our specific house here at Randall together and have, have been some of the foundation that right now you can't see. And so we've asked ourselves, how can we make sure that they are seen uh, even when you can't see them? And so we've invited our congregation, we've invited you to write letters to them. So in our Randall life, the last couple of weeks, we've given out their addresses. And these are particularly uh, for those who are in um, homes, uh, those who can't get to windows, can't uh, see out there. We wanted to make sure that they could hear from us. And also another thing that we did as a staff is we created, and there's a, a picture here, we created uh, uh, signs for our shut-ins who are at home but just can't leave. And we went around and we, uh, we put signs in each one of them. So these are about people like Bill Poley uh, and others who are there, Betty Gailey, others that are there uh, that, uh, that could look out the window and see. We've put out signs to say, we love you, we care about you, and we see you because you are part of our house. Uh, you might not be seen by everyone, but we want to see you. So we'd invite you to, uh, to join us in that. So again, uh, after the broadcast, we will actually, uh, uh, we, we can repost it to this uh, thread. We'll do that. We'll repost it to this thread. It, also, if you check your Randall Life, we've sent out all of the addresses to the facilities uh, where our shut-ins are. We'd invite you this week, uh, reach out to them and remind them that they're part uh, of our community. They're part of our house as well. Yeah, that's great. Uh, we're also reading some of the questions in the thread about the food pantry as well. Uh, is the address the Little Food Pantry? Yes. Uh, so the, the Little Food Pantry is a larger organization than just us, but we are listed as one of the locations there. Some of you are asking about what we need for refills on different things. Anything. Anything. <laughs> yeah. there, there really is no rules on this. People are coming and they're, they're taking whatever you can bring. So we ask you to do that. Uh, if our normal kids entrance, when you come in, there's a big overhang there. Uh, you can pull up right there, bring stuff right in, set it up. And uh, we we'll, would love for you to be able to give in that way. It should be an easy way for you to respond to that. Uh, so continue to do that. Uh, we'd love to have you do those things. Um, let's talk about some of the other things that we're yeah. doing this week, um, yeah. Mario, as we finish up. So um, we're going to put up some slides here for some of the activities that are going on during the week. And uh, you can get involved in a variety of different ways connecting with folks. Beginning tonight, if you're in the high school group, at 6 p.m. will be the high school virtual group via Zoom. So I will send out that reminder uh, as soon as uh, service is over here. Uh, beginning tomorrow, or tomorrow night, um, the virtual group with Pastor Milo and, and his wife Erin will actually be an uh, interview with Kevin Lamb, who is one of our elder candidates. So we want to make sure that as many people can come on that and ask questions. Uh, there's going to be kind of a dis guided discussion with that. Um, uh, we will be sending that information also out to the congregation so you can join uh, Pastor Milo and Aaron for that. And um, so that'll be tomorrow night at 8.30. Normally there's a Facebook uh, chat with Pastor Milo and Aaron, but this week it will be the actual elder interview for that. Mm -hmm. Tuesday at 2 is our Randall Youth live stream on Facebook, our youth page on Facebook's there. So you want to um, get on that and check that out. We've been having some fun the last couple weeks. We have a special... Uh, we have a special um, concert this weekend that will be Aaron uh, from Ren Collective. So be, you want to be a part of that. All right. 
I'm making it sound like it's big. It's Ren really Collective cool. will yeah. be here Ren this weekend. Is that what you just said? Ren Collective will be providing music for our Tuesday at two. Wow. I have connections. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right, middle school group will be Tuesday at 6.30 p.m., and that also will be via Zoom. You'll get that information so you guys can log into that. Uh, and then Wednesday night, uh, similar to what happens on Monday, but this time hosted by Pastor Brian and Molly, will be Bill Hines' elder interview. And so we will send the information so our congregation can be a part of that. And again, this will take the place of the Facebook Live that normally happens. Thursday night, if you're one of our partner groups, thank you so much for joining those. I hear they're having a great time uh, in the last couple weeks, so thank you for all those who are running that and the different ministries that are taking care of that. And also, uh, we want to make sure that on Saturday, you are getting the Randall Kids slideshows. You should be getting that. If you are not getting that, you can email the office, office at randallchurch.org, uh, but most people, I think, are getting those uh, for the Randall um, Kids uh, programming. And then again, next week, we want to see you here at 1015 on Sunday morning for our Facebook Live worship gathering. If you're not someone who's on Facebook, we also repost this. You want to tell them that real quick? That's correct, yeah. yeah. Uh, we will take the broadcast from this morning, and it will be posted to YouTube by Monday afternoon. So if you know of some of our congregation who aren't on Facebook, they don't have a Facebook account, uh, you know, you can, um, you, can, you can send them to Randall Church on YouTube, and... Um, the, the broadcast will be there. We've actually have the last five weeks or however long. We, how long have we been doing this? I don't know. If I don't know. It's long. Yeah, there, it's there for you to go back it's and It's all starting and to run together. Yeah. yeah. And it's also on our homepage. So if you just go to randallchurch.org mm -hmm. every of the week ahead, um, what we had done the week previously, you're going to find all of that information right on. So if you don't want to deal with YouTube either, just go to randallchurch.org and by Monday afternoon, right up on that webpage, uh, it'll be all there for you. Speaking of randallchurch.org, you see the link on your screen right now for give.randallchurch.org. Uh, many of you have begun giving online. We thank you so much for that. After we have now been involved in this uh, virtual uh, church for a few weeks here, online church, uh, you, you, we can actually report back to you. Our first two weeks uh, that we were not on site anymore, our giving as a church, or financially, we were looking at only receiving 10 to 15 percent of what would normally come in on a Sunday came in those first two weeks. And it's so it was pretty spooky uh, for us to say, you know, what is it? How, how rough will this be? But we thank you so much. Many of you have stepped up. You've been giving online. You've been sending in checks to our office uh, and that type of thing. And so actually, uh, the rebound over the rest of the month, uh, we've actually uh, had a net positive for last month, which many churches are not able to say uh, during this time. So thank you so much for that. Give.randallchurch.org. That allows us to continue to support our missionaries, guys like Tim Stewart, uh, as our partners here locally, all kinds of different ways that we are sending those funds out. And we're going to continue to tell you the stories and, and share with you the ways that that is happening. Thank you so much, friends, for being here today. We want to, again, be able to say that God's address is your address. And so as you have that in mind today, would you live your life in a way, this afternoon, would you do something this afternoon that would demonstrate the fact that the holy God that created the universe dwells in you? Would you do something today? Would you take some type of action today that would show that? Uh, that would be such an encouragement to us as a leadership team, as a pastoral team here. We thank you so much for tuning in. If you've got any other questions, concerns, comments, would you uh, use them here on the Facebook page or you can send them into the office, office at randallchurch.org. Until we meet again, grace and peace to you. Have a wonderful week.